Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Havard. In this episode, Sam and Rachel from Dizology stop by to talk about their fascinating podcast that covers a whole range of topics in the Disney fandom and in Disneyana. And we talk about the unique ways that they cover these topics and the great, very interesting perspectives that they take um, on different portions of the fandom and different portions of the company. And so this was a lot of fun. Um, We had a very wide ranging um, discussion of topics and I really hope you enjoy it. Please come along with us on our adventure. All right, class, welcome back. Um, we have another discussion, one I'm really, really excited about, um, and one that um, I think really resonates with the class because we've had some of these types of conversations before. And I have Rachel and Sam from Dizology with us. And so there, there's so many questions I have about um, the show that they do. And then some of the episodes, getting into some of the questions I or observations I had from some of their episodes. Um, and then we'll talk about their fandom and everything as we usually do. Um, but first, I wanted to um, just get both of your backgrounds um, about how you became Disney fans, kind of bring us from the beginning to where you are right now. Um, and then we'll get into what Dizology is and where that idea came from. So welcome to the class, welcome to the show, and please, um, Rachel, if you want to go ahead and start us off, you can. Sure. So I'm Rachel. I, um, I've i been pretty much a lifelong Disney fan. Um, I was taken to the Disney parks by my grandparents at a pretty young age, and, and I was that really obnoxious kid who actually read the Birnbaum's guides and uh, really liked to be the, the planner of my family. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, but I moved to Florida about 12 years ago, and I moved to Orlando about six years ago, and I uh, have remained an annual pass holder. I like going to Disney. I know it's gotten more expensive, but to me, the, you know, the, the location, it's, it's absolutely worth it. Um, I, I, um, do you want me, I mean, to get into more of Dizology now or, or just kind of, uh, let Sam go first? <laughs> Let's, we'll let, we'll let Sam introduce herself and then we'll get into Dizology okay. and talk about that. Yeah. So, yeah. So just lifelong Disney fan. Um, obviously if you've listened to our podcast, you know, there are definitely critiques I have, but I think overall, uh, it just means a lot to me and the, the media and the, uh, the parks have a really special place in my heart. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Go ahead. All right. So my story is a bit different than Rachel's. I was a big consumer of Disney media as a teenager, you know, the Disney Channel, Disney Channel original movies. That was like as far as my consumership went um, because we never went to the parks when I was a kid. Um, When my dad was sick and we were um, close to losing him, he kept saying, I want to take everybody to Disney. I want to take everybody to Disney. And he didn't get the chance to do that. So I remember I made that my goal that next year. And I walked down Main Street and I stood in front of the castle and I cried. And it was like, 
I never want to leave this place. And I just fell in love with Imagineering and theme park design and the like philosophies that Walt had um, became obsessed with learning all about his journey and the other Imagineering journeys and just growth of the company and growth of society. So it that's just where my love comes from. And then Marvel was acquired and it was game over. And thank, thanks for those introductions. And that's, that's, those are awesome stories and awesome backgrounds. Um, and I think, you know, Disney kind of comes to people in various ways, or maybe people come to Disney in various ways. Um, and so it can be very therapeutic. Um, and so that's one of the great things that I, that I like about the company, especially the parks. Um, next to get into what Dizology is. Um, can you first, and either one of you, both of you can talk about where did the idea come from? Um, where did the name come from? And then how do you pick what you're going to talk about in different episodes? That was all Rachel. So Rachel and I <laughs> used to have, um, we used to be part of another podcast network and we had a mom's planning show and we would do episodes bi-weekly on different um, planning tips for moms. And then we just decided like, it's time to move on and do something different. And then Rachel's like, well, here's this idea I've been wanting to do. And then Rachel, do you want to take it from there? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it, it came from like one particular idea, but I really I'm just really fascinated by media analysis. That's pretty much what I, during the little free time that I have, I will go on YouTube and I'll watch YouTubers like, uh, like Lindsay Ellis, um, Jenny Nicholson, who, who doesn't do as much analysis, but she kind of does these deep dives into various aspects of Disney and other types of media. Um, like uh, Sarah Zed, lots of different, not necessarily Disney, but just different types of media analysis. So I, what I felt was lacking from a lot of Disney-based fan media, both on YouTube and podcasts and just around the internet in general, was that there wasn't a lot of analysis specifically targeted towards Disney. You, you didn't find a lot of like thoughts on yeah, hey, uh, you know, it's so funny that we that we go on Spaceship Earth and we say thank the Phoenicians, but what actually does that mean? And what are like, you know, not just the history of it, but but getting into like more details about that. And um, so there was just a lot that I wanted to say. And I knew Sam well enough to know that there was a lot that she wanted to say and a lot that she also wanted to react to <laughs> um, because we would just have these conversations and and uh, they were just so, so interesting and I could nerd out on her and she didn't judge me. So when we, you know, when we knew it was time to move on to the next thing, uh, I said, hey, I really want to do this podcast. And it's in terms of the name, I was... It, it's, you know, nothing magical. I was just trying to think of something that combined Disney with something like academic sounding so that when you heard it, you would know like, oh, this is a podcast or this is media that talks about, that talks about Disney, but does so in a, in a kind of different way. An academic way. Yeah. Yeah. And, we we and try. <laughs> it is, it is very, um, it is very academic in the sense that deep dives into different things and each episode maybe I shouldn't say each episode but um, most episodes it's almost like you're taking 
one theory or one phenomenon and you're kind of diving into that and you're using Disney to talk about that. Like, yeah. Um, so, so there, there are some that, um, as I told you, I've listened to when I, since I first reached out, I listened to a handful since then that, um, one about the multiverse and that's kind of the one that really caught my eye because, or caught my ear, I guess. Um, because I am, I'm a new Marvel fan. So I didn't grow up on the comics. Um, I actually got into Marvel and the MCU, um, actually between infinity war and Endgame, Um, I, I remember Iron Man coming out in the theaters and I think I had seen maybe Iron Man two and a couple others, and I didn't really see anything else. Um, but then when infinity war came out and I, I'm not exactly sure how I got into it, but when I first watched Infinity War and then kind of realized like, okay, I don't really know what's going on. So I need to go back and watch all these other things. And then from there, it's just become this huge passion that has kind of <laughs> infiltrated the teaching, the classroom, the research, the writing, all of that. And, and it's, it's become so fun that then when I was listening to that about the multiverse um, and, and how Roger Rabbit is the, the original multiverse for Disney, um, I, I thought that was fascinating. The um, First, can you kind of start us off and talk about what is a multiverse or what should listeners and students know about a multiverse? There's a lot of different definitions of the multiverse, and and I have I definitely have to give a shout out to to my friend Ryan, who it was that episode was basically his idea. He's a friend of our podcast. He's been on several episodes, um, but I, I guess I, it's been a while since we recorded that episode. But we kind of touched on different like different ideas of what the multiverse is. And I think especially in the last couple of years when we've had so much media, not even just from Disney coming out, that kind of touches on. Uh, like a multiverse, like you'll see, like DC has it too, and Marvel also. I mean, we where, just had Space Jam too. Yeah, Space Jam. Um, where where it's either you know a bunch of different people from a bunch of different characters and aspects of different properties coming together in one piece of media. So you'd see that with Space Jam, Kingdom Hearts, Roger Rabbit, um, or I, I think the like kind of alternate definition or the other side of that coin is different characters existing in different ways so you see that with like the marvel franchise you'll have the mar the mcu and then the same characters are in comic books and tv shows where they exist just in different ways um there was a great movie that just came out called everything everywhere all at once which i just saw and it was incredible and that kind of and that also is is in that same vein of it's about a multiverse where um, a person and Star Trek gets into this a lot too, where every decision you make kind of diverges a timeline and there's all of these different worlds. So there's, there's a few different definitions of multiverse, but I think like the, those are like the, the main accepted ones in our society and media right now. Yeah. And then if you wanted to go Marvel specific, it would be that there are different timelines basically layered on top of each other where there are different versions of everything. And then there are anchor beings who basically hold that timeline together. So there's a spot where Wanda is an anchor and um, 
pretty much there's one being that is tied to that center and everybody revolves around them. So if that center were to not be part of that reality, then that timeline would be destroyed. Which is um, possibly what we're going to see here in the next month with Multiverse of Madness. The, it's, yes. And one thing that I did not know is, uh, let's say I'm, you and Ryan were talking about in particular, is the fact that um, the Nexus being, in, in the MCU, the Nexus, or Marvel, I should say, the Nexus being, there can only be one in a, a multi or a universe at the same time, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, and so one, one thing that, and I had messaged both of you about this, uh, because when I was listening to the podcast, I was thinking of different examples and, and I messaged and um, I can't remember which one of you said you had read the first book. Rachel read the first book of the kingdom keepers a long, Um, long time ago too, but I remember some parts of it. Well, they're, they're, they're fascinating to, I listen to them on audio books and they're Mm -hmm. fascinating to listen to on audio or audible. Um, And they're actually coming out with, with new ones. Um, And actually trivia point um, uh, the, the writer of the books, um, Ridley Pearson was the last person to actually speak in our class before the pandemic. Everything since then has been like this, uh, one-on-one kind of over Zoom. But um, <clears throat> it's so interesting because those stories, they also bring together all of the characters. And they in, in that world, they know each other and they help each other and everybody I'm not, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but basically every, everybody kind of Mickey is, you know, the boss um, and, and everybody's trying to help out with that. Um, And it's just, you know, it's such an interesting concept. And so when I was listening to the podcast, that's where my mind went. Um, And there's another thing that I, that I think is interesting to bring up is because we're talking about the multiverse, um, it also brings in the concept, uh, concepts of multimedia and transmedia to me that, um, you know, the difference being like transmedia is story told using different mediums and the story actually kind of goes between the mediums. It's not just we're doing it through a book and we're also doing it through uh, a movie and through audio and things like that. Like it's actually like a, a storyline that goes through. And so one thing that I think is interesting to get your two views on is are we as consumers getting to the point where we really need to consume transmedia to fully understand a story or is it just kind of icing on top of the cake for those people who do understand or do um, read the books, read the comics, play the video games, watch the animated features, and then also the live action features? Um, I think that I'm going to use Marvel for the MCU right now as an example with the Disney Plus shows and all and um, all of the things coming in phase four. But there's a lot that can be consumed on its own that you don't, like Marvel does a good job giving you the backstory that they want you to have. But when you can 
put on your like lifelong learner hat and go in and consume the comics and consume, you know, the miniseries that have happened before, it changes, it changes the way you think about everything. And it just makes you so much more excited to keep consuming the content. It, for me, that's the only way to do it. But that's also me being the Marvel nerd that I am. Um, but I, I don't think you have to personally, but I think it's incredibly beneficial too. I think it, it sparks a lot of joy and it keeps you going and keeps you wanting to learn more and do more. So. Okay. And uh, go ahead, Rachel. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I, I think there's a way to do it that does, you know, that does spark joy. And I definitely think there's always going to be those consumers who want to see like media expand across different ways and they want to find all the Easter eggs. Um, but I also think uh, you have to be really careful um, because especially, and like the cynic in me is like, is it really because they're trying to enhance the experience or because they want to make more money? <laughs> so, uh, and, and I think uh, we're seeing it done not as well with like the Star Wars fandom uh, because like, especially in that latest Boba Fett show, there was so much that like, if you hadn't watched Mandalorian, you're sure going to be confused in these two episodes, which are basically just Mandalorian episodes. And if you haven't seen the Clone Wars show, then you're going to be confused as to, to who this guy is who just showed up. And, um, and there was even like a reference to a scene that never even made it to air in the Clone Wars. So, uh, so you, that's like, you would have to be like a really deep person. And I felt like, I, I don't, I'm not like an avid consumer of Star Wars media, but I did watch like breakdown videos on, on YouTube. And uh, I, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I was really confused and now I understand. But if you were like, I just want to watch this episode and then go, and I don't have time or the bandwidth to do anything else. Um, I think you're going to lose some people. Well, and what's, I'm glad you brought up Star Wars because I do think it's, it's done very, very well in Marvel and with the MCU. And I think, I mean, if if you've seen the trailers for Multiverse of Madness, it looks like some of the things that happen in the What If series, which were the animated series on Disney Plus, it looks like maybe those are coming over into live action. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I've heard talk of, you know, the success of, and this is Sony, but the success of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, will that version of Miles Morales actually be the version that is carried over into the Sony Spider-Verse, the live action Spider-Verse, and then eventually like kind of, you know, those two exist where they're, they're always kind of side by side and they can make movies together and then go off on their own adventures and things like that um, with, with Disney and Sony. Um, so I do think they do it really well in the MCU. I think it's interesting that I, I wonder if at some point, and I, I watch the Marvel shows uh, like I have them on in the background when I'm working. I watch them multiple times each. I watch episodes multiple times each. Um, I'm like, I'm the type of person that I am analyzing what's going on in Moon Knight right now. And I'm trying to decide if I, if I know what's going to happen next and all of that. Um, but I do wonder if we will get to a point where even for someone like me, it becomes overload where, you know, Am I, I think going a lot of people are feel, there. Yeah. 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 And yeah. am I going to feel left out mm -hmm. because I don't fully understand something? Now, what is interesting about 
specific to Star Wars that that, that you brought up, Rachel, is um, there were certain aspects like when um, now his name escapes me um, the at the end of episode five of the book of Boba Fett, um, uh, the I, blue guy. Oh, uh, I, yeah. Uh, I can't even remember his uh, yeah. name. Oh, Cad Bane. Cad yeah, Bane. Cad Bane. When Cad Bane showed up, that's embarrassing to not remember. But when oh, Cad gosh. Bane showed up, like I knew who that was right off the bat. And I had really never watched much of the Clone Wars, um, but I knew who that character was. And so like that and when Ahsoka showed up in season one or season two of The Mandalorian and then showed up in season 2.5 of The Mandalorian, also known as the Book of Boba Fett, like I thought all of that was really (laughs) cool. And I didn't I didn't have that background. And I thought it was really neat because then you could go back and and you could explore more of that. But also with I was listening to a, a a review of one of the episodes that remember the scene where um Kashyyyk not Kashyyyk um Chrysanthem ripped off the I think is I think the creature's name is a transocean remember that oh, where yeah, he ripped that. off his arm mm-hmm. so when you watch that on Disney plus it was like whoa he's just kind of a violent guy and he doesn't like people apparently enjoying themselves when I listened to this, uh, this review of it, it said in the books, it goes into detail about what type of history those two Star Wars creatures have and like their kind of uh, their people have with one another. And basically where Trandoshans would take Wookiees and they were the ones to enslave them and have them work in uh, uh the mines and everything like that but that wasn't translated into the show and you know if that was like a one or two line thing in the show then all of that makes sense so that that is a like you're you're very right about mcu does it pretty well but now Um, that i'm thinking about it now that i'm listening to you guys i have a marvel podcast where i sit back and like I analyze these things for people so they don't have to do the research. So I think I'm coming from it from a different frame of mind and not having to be the. I'm like feeding that information out there instead of, because I have the background knowledge and I, I'm not really looking at it from everyone else's perspective. <laughs> that could be it. But I think part of it is also just, Um, how Marvel is pretty good at putting the story first and then everything else is like little Easter eggs that you can discover. Like, I don't know anything about Moon Knight and, but I still watch it and I'm still very interested in the story. Um, My favorite of the Marvel, the MCU movies is Thor Ragnarok. I've watched that movie like so many times. Um, And it's just a really good story. Like it is part of this greater whole, but it's like just this really good story about like family and loss and um, like growth. And um, it's just a good story. And I think like where something like the book of Boba Fett and other Star Wars, like I like the Mandalorian. I hated episode nine. I, I, I literally laughed out loud sometimes uh, because I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but it just, it just, um, it felt like they were putting what they, you know, they were putting these like messages to the fans or who they perceived as the fans, uh, over like 
over just telling a good story that made sense. And Boba Fett, I think like where it faltered for me was like, they're like, oh, and I don't know if it was because of COVID schedules or whatever, but there were episodes that Boba Fett wasn't even in it. And I'm, I'm, and they took way too long to show like, why should I care about this character? Why does he want the things he wants? Um, so, so I think that's, that's to me, the big difference. Like if you put story first, if you just focus on telling a good story, I think people will be on board for that and they, they will seek out more information. Uh, whereas with, with Star Wars, I'm not as interested in seeking out that information because I didn't even like the story. Yep, exactly. One thing that um, I think is really interesting is that when you look at transmedia, with specific to Star Wars, like now um, you go to Galaxy's Edge and and we've been lucky enough to have somebody talk to the class a couple times that that works at Galaxy's Edge and have, the, excuse me, they've talked about how basically it happens in a timeline and everything has to happen in the Star Wars timeline. And so what that has some um, parameters on it or some constraints on it as to what they can have. Like, so for instance, it would be more difficult for Mandalorian and baby Yoda to be walking around um, galaxy's edge. And then on the other side of the coin or on the other side of the spectrum, if you will, is Avengers campus that Avengers campus I've heard like kind of exists as part of this sort of multiverse where everybody is there. So it's okay to have Black Widow walking around. It's okay to have Steve Rogers, Captain America, walking beside Sam Wilson, Captain America. It's okay to even have now multiple versions of the Loki variant walking around because they were able to, because of storytelling, basically when each episode would come out, the very next day, those characters would be in the parks. And so I think that's, it's just an interesting example in like transmedia storytelling and where there are some constraints. And then in other places, um, it's more open to kind of working to, not to, not to, go on what Rachel said, but kind of working toward the fans, giving the fans what they want, you know? Yeah. And I think that that was something that the producers of the Star Wars shows saw, like they saw the Marvel fans kind of losing their minds over Mm -hmm. these Easter eggs. And um, we want to do that too. We want to do that too. But uh, sorry, not everybody's Kevin Feige. No, I'm just kidding. Well, (laughs) yeah. And and Disney has this especially in the parks, they're like, everything has to tell a story. And it's like, well, there, it does, but also it also, it, it doesn't have to, it doesn't literally have to mean there's a story. Like there's literally like literature uh, that is based in Batu that ties into Galaxy's Edge. It's like, it doesn't literally have to tell a story. It just has to be like it just has to be well themed and make sense cohesive um but at least i mean like okay so so you're gonna set batu in this timeline that has all these characters that people don't like as much as other timelines of star wars or other time points uh in star wars at least they still have um the star tours area in both on both coasts so they you know you could have a mandalorian meet and greet on the 
on the stage next to star tours. I think that would be fine, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is weird how they were like, it has to be this story. And, and we're going to bet, we're going to bet it all on these characters that people, I mean, I, I know a lot of people love Ray, uh, and, and, and Kylo Ren and all that, but it's not they're It's, they're not as iconic as princess Leia and Luke and Darth Vader and Grogu. And Grogu, <laughs> instant icon. Grogu. Instant icon. You know when you you mentioned here's the thing if if they put Mandalorian and Grogu as a meet and greet in Star Tours, like what's that going to do to you know Galaxy's Edge? Then all of a sudden, because that would be by far the longest line for a meet and greet. You know, all of a sudden Star Tours is now like the it attraction again because just for this meet and greet and then like it, it would help the crowd level yeah. And, yeah. and galaxy's edge it would help the crowd level on the the rides and you know with star wars now like you also have the new galactic star cruiser that that is part of the story and it's very awkward in that that is a very privileged experience there are very small amount of people who can have that experience and even smaller who could have the experience over and over and over again so they could like feel part of it and I understand the draw of wanting to be part of this universe um, but it almost seems like there's there's the general fans and that watch the movies and they can do this. Then there's like an added layer for people who want to read some of the books and read some of the, uh, or watch some of the animated series. There's the added layer for people who want to go to the parks. And then there's like, let's be honest, about 10 layers higher than that is like the people who can stay at the hotel. And I, I think on some level, that's acceptable because like the more you want to get into it, the more you can understand, but it is a little problematic when you need to understand these things in order to understand the whole story. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, because then you're, you're creating an exclusionary opportunity. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Cause it's, it's time, it's money, it's uh, energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, if it's something that they're tying into the everything of it, um, then you're you're cutting out majority of your fan base. And you know, uh, we'll kind of skip around a little bit um, because you're talking about um, exclusionary experience, and you're, and I know I brought it up first, but that also is. What are your impressions? Because I've heard on the podcast a little bit. What are your impressions of Genie and Genie Plus? And is that kind of this now like exclusive access that only certain people can have when they're in the parks? Okay, that's a good question. Um, and I actually just used as Genie Plus for the first time on yeah. Friday. Um, it, so there is a really good video on YouTube that I think any everybody in the world should watch um it's it's uh it's by it's on a channel called defunct land it's basically a it's basically a feature like documentary about the history of fast pass and disney's many many attempts at controlling crowds and how in over 60 years of running theme parks more than 60 years uh 
they have never really gotten it right. And they have never figured out uh, the best way. Uh, and at this point, I'm not sure that there is a best way. Um, and we saw this, we saw this, especially when Disney was coming back from the pandemic, or I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but when they were reopening and how they were like, okay, you have to make a reservation and all of these features are that you used to have are not available. And by the way, we're raising ticket prices and we're always going to raise ticket prices. And the discourse I saw online that I've seen online for years now is the crowds are too big and Disney is too expensive. Uh, and now we have to also make a reservation. So now there's an added layer of, oh, and also I, I, I can't get a reservation. Um, so it's, it's like, you can kind of pick, it, it's almost like that, you know, that circle where like you, you pick, you can, you have three options, you could pick two of them. Um, so you can have, um, so they, they're like, okay, so in order to uh, lower crowds, we have two options. We can either raise prices or we can have park reservations. And actually we're going to go ahead and do both. Um, well, people don't like either of those options, but they also somehow want crowds to be lower. Um, so they're okay with park reservations as long as they get a park reservation. Yeah. They're okay with high, with higher prices as long as they can afford those prices. Um, I do think, and I, and I, and um I, I do think that Genie Plus losing that was a tough pill to swallow as a as a losing FastPass uh, as somebody who went to the parks many times and benefited from that system. Uh, but the defunct plan video sh uh, shows pretty clearly that only a few people they sh they have and they have data to back this up that that only a, a small percentage of visitors really benefited from it, and the rest were kind of left to to kind of to flounder and stand in long lines, or just hope that somebody took pity on them and showed them how to use FastPass Plus. Um, so, so on that end, I kind of get it, um, but it you know it is kind of it almost like it felt kind of like a stab in the back of, of like, okay, here was this thing you used to get for free and now you don't get it for free anymore. And so, so I, there was a point when I was like, I'm never going to use Genie plus because it felt like the principle of the thing. So I used it on Friday when I went to magic kingdom. Uh, and it was actually good. I actually liked it. Um, I liked that. Um, I liked that it was just a very like easy, easy to use in the app. They got it right. Uh, it's, it, I don't know. I'm sure there's still some kinks to work out, but it was very easy to use. Um, and it really is $15 a day. I, I'm, I know that adds up, uh, but it's a low, lower price point than you see at a lot of other parks that offer this kind of system. Um, so to my mind, it's kind of like, uh, it's really not that as bad as it could be, but I still am never going to be like, yay, you know, about yeah. it. <laughs> Got to hold on to it a little bit, a little bit of that. I have to, I have had. to be a little, I have to be a little bitter. <laughs> but I, I agree. I think that we thought it was going to be a lot worse than it has turned out to be. Um, and I know that most of my friends who have used it have enjoyed it. And a lot of them enjoy it more than they did Fast Plus. Fast, fast, fast. Um, yeah, and I think like one of the big advantages it has over FastPass and uh, is that you have to book same day. So it's more like the old paper FastPass system, except you don't actually have to go to the ride to book your time uh, because, you know, it was nice to be like, I got a FastPass for flight of passage in two weeks. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that kind of sucks for everyone else who didn't get it. And that means that they are kind of playing this 
game where they have to try to get it or they have to risk standing in line, like I said. Um, so just being being able to book it like in the morning was it felt more fair. See, I miss that. Sense. I miss that, you know, what 90 days out was it? It was, yeah, 60, it was 60, 60 days. Well, yeah. 90 if you were on property, yeah, right? And I it was no 60, 60 on property, 30, 30 without. Yes. That's right. Um, so you know, yeah, like I can see kind of like where a lot of people liked that. And I kind and I liked it too, but I also recognized that it wasn't the fairest system. Uh so I'm like, okay, like, uh, fine. I got my jungle cruise time. I'm good. I'm going to go back to bed now. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, the thing that I, we went in November and I, I loved it. Um, I loved being able to use it. Um, I did feel if we went with uh, my wife and our two kids and then my mom went with us. So we had five people. Um, and you talk about it adds up. Yes, it, it def obviously adds up when you're doing that every day for everybody. And then, but there were some of the attractions that we did the, the individual lightning lane for. Um, and the one thing I'll, I'll say a negative that I got from it, but then I'll also like tell you, it did not stop me from using it um, is under the old fast pass and fast pass plus system it was like when you were standing in the queue and you saw someone walk up you know okay well they're using one of their three fast passes we'll use ours for another ride later or they came and they got their reservation and now they're back same thing when you were walking up you knew like okay everybody else is they're going to be able to use one at some point um this time that we were there i did feel like we had a different experience than a lot of other people who were not local that were there to you know especially i think for a lot of people the quote-unquote success of going to a theme park is how many rides you ride which i don't think it like you know you can have a conversation about if that's you should just walk around and enjoy things or not but especially with two young kids like that was that was the utmost importance you know we went to we went on Space Mountain one time without a uh, lightning reservation because it was a 20 minute wait. And the whole time, you know, my kids were asking, hey, do we have a fast lane for this? I'm like, well, we do, but it's later. Why don't we have one now? I'm like, well, because we don't really need it. It's 20 minutes. Like, that's a really good wait. But it is, it's kind of built into that expectation. Like, hey, are we going to be able to go to the front of the line? And it just, for me, it felt awkward that, like when I was walking up, it was almost like I felt bad for other people that they weren't having the same experience. Now, I will also say it did not stop me from using it. And it, it, it won't stop me from using it in the future. It will, I'll justify it how I need to in the future. And I actually remember having an experience going previously where there was a, a, a mix up with a hotel reservation and it ended up, we got a lot of fast passes from it. Like we basically, we almost had unlimited fast passes. We had enough that <laughs> we didn't really need to like, you know, worry yeah. about things and they were unassigned. So you could just use them, whatever. Um, and I remember thinking at that point, like, man, if they ever charge for this, I want to do this. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, that's sort of my hypocrisy is like, I can say like, 
oh, I really want this to happen. And now that it's here, it's like, and I kind of feel bad that we're having this experience and other people aren't, but I'm not stopping doing it right. either. Well, there was definitely like this thrill when it was free because, it, or included, I shouldn't say free, but it was included. Uh, and I remember there were several times I would be in a fast pass lane and somebody in the standby line would say, oh, excuse me, how much did you pay? to, to ride that, to, to be in that line. And I would get to say, I didn't pay anything. I just know how to use the system. And now I can't say that anymore. <laughs> now I have to say, oh, I, I paid $15 and I, I feel a little dirty. Um, the other complaint I have is like an annual pass holder. Cause I work. So I, you know, usually I, um, my husband doesn't like Disney. So I take my daughter like during weekdays, uh, and, uh, when I get done with work sometimes, uh, and I'm only there for a couple of hours. So to me, I'm not, and there's no discount for annual pass holders. There's no, we can pay like $99 a year for unlimited photos, which is really nice. Um, but there's no like unlimited lightning lane option. So, um, I'm not going to pay $15 to ride like frozen, uh, for, you know, and, and only frozen because that would be the only thing I'd have time to do. Uh, so, so I, I wish there was some kind of like either discount or like, or some like flat rate I could pay for the year, uh, for something like that. Cause I think that would be really nice, but I, I, I don't know if that's coming down the line or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, it's really only worth it for me if I'm going for at least half a day. Well, and that's, I actually spoke to somebody yesterday about like, should there be, I am of the opinion that there should be something for annual pass holders that you could pay an extra package or whatever for those unlimited, or if it's not unlimited, you have, you know, every third time you get whatever constraints they want to put on it, because it does get to that, you know, the 80, 20 rule of 80% of your business comes from 20% of your most loyal consumers. And, and We've seen in many different consumer settings that people would rather go after the new customer than those loyal customers. I mean, you know, mobile yeah. phone companies are notorious for this. Um, and so, uh, you know, it kind it's of- the exact opposite of how your business should yeah, work. <laughs> yeah. And, but at the same time, it's- we, we talked about ticket prices and at the same time, like every time they raise ticket prices, park attendance takes a huge, like sees a huge increase. Yeah. It's not and stopping so people. It's like, where is the, it's not, you don't want to say like they have to learn a lesson or teach them, you know, like teach yeah. them a lesson. Like, but the lesson at the corporate level kind of is like, well, all of this is working because every time we do something, we make it, more money. We make more money. More people are there. It makes me wonder what we talked about before we started recording, what happens to younger generations. And it also makes me wonder what happens to like, we are all identified with Disney because we went as kids and because we have these memories of them. So we want to take our kids back in the future. Is it really just going to be like, are, are there going to be a lot of loyal customers that come back time and time again. Now I say that, and again, I'm not going to stop going. I don't yeah. know other people who are quote unquote loyal, who are going to stop going either, you know? Right. So, I mean, I've been going to the parks for like 
over 30 years at this point, and I've been um, I've been a pass holder for uh, over 12 years. And in that, in just those 12 years, I have seen like so many ebbs and flows of the thoughts of like how Disney kind of treats and approaches annual pass holders. Uh, I have definitely seen like there were periods where I felt they valued pass holders and, and periods when I felt they didn't value pass holders. Um, there, a good example is the Guardians of the Galaxy previews that just opened and um, I didn't get in and I'm not mad uh, because I know it was limited spots and they can only have so much preview time before they have to go live with the ride. Uh, and, um, but I, 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 I clicked the link and it, it, it didn't load forever. It brought me to a queue and it told me how approximately how long I would have to wait. And then after about 30 minutes or so, it automatically refreshed and said, sorry, there's, there's no more spots. And I did see a lot of discourse online that was basically like, oh, this was a fail. Well, why was it a fail? Well, because I get in and therefore Disney doesn't value pass holders. Well, they had this preview event. And, and you don't even have to make a park reservation to go to this preview event. You just have to get like a spot and there can only be so many spots. And it doesn't mean that Disney doesn't value pass holders. They already like, yeah, an annual pass is expensive, but for, but you get unlimited pretty much visits to Disney. It, that like, that's your perk <laughs> and anything else is just gravy. Um, but, but it is nice when, you know, for a while we had free photos and now we have to pay for it. And that, that kind of sucks, but it's still at a much cheaper rate than everyone else. So I, I, I'm kind of like, I, I definitely feel like Disney has these like kind of their, their corporate thought kind of ebbs and sorry, kind of ebbs and flows in terms of how they feel about pass holders, whether they are like, these are our loyal fans and we have to cater to them or, you know, these guys, they pay a one-time fee and then we get like no other revenue from them. So, you know, F them. Uh, I, I, I think it's always been somewhere in the middle, but there's definitely been highs and lows. Um, but I'm not a rich person. Uh, and uh, I, I still, I still go and I, I, I pay for an annual pass, but I also, I pay to eat there and I, um, have, I've stayed in the hotels. So, uh, it doesn't feel out of reach to me yet. Uh, but as long as, as long as I can afford it, I will continue to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sam, have you been to the parks since they've reopened? No, my husband is refusing until meet and greets are fully back and character dining is fully back. Almost there. Almost there. Almost there. Almost there. Um, Knock the, on wood. So, uh, character meet and greets are are they back now or are they still starting in a couple weeks? When they're, they're, they're still starting. They're, well, they're supposed to be starting on Monday, actually. Monday. Uh, Disney is very. Mickey on Monday. They are very wisely waiting until after the Easter uh, weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I, not at all locations. I think there's only doing animal kingdom Mickey meet and greet. Okay. So uh, for now, uh, but I mean, you can still go up to the characters. We, we met Mickey and my yeah. daughter like went up to the, the, the rope and she got to talk to him and, and he did like a little, a little hot dog dance for her. Yeah. So you know, I, I like distance meet and greets because it makes it a lot easier for those of us with small children who might be a little scared to approach the characters to kind of get used to them in a, in a very safe way. Yeah. yeah. And it, 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 I, 
I have mixed feelings about meet and greets because on one side, the lines are always incredibly long. And you do have to meet Mickey if it's like the first time that your kid's going. Um, so that's like a long experience. Um, but also then like, you know, you're, you see your, I, I saw my youngest son go up and like, we were in the imagination pavilion and this was September, 2019, uh, before the pandemic. And my boys went up to take a picture. My oldest one is like holding, um, Wreck-It Ralph's hand. And my youngest one is just staring up at Vanellope Von Schweetz. And like when it was time to like stop taking the picture and, and to leave, he just, he wouldn't leave. He's just like staring up at her. And like, you know, as a parent, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, that's like, yeah. what a great experience that is. It also is really cool right now that like you just see these characters kind of roaming around yeah. like in their yeah. you know, quote unquote real environment. Um, I like that. Yeah. Like the, the character cavalcades and all of that are really, really fun to, I hope those, it seems like those are staying around at least for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those honestly, are fun. I honestly think I prefer that idea over parades in general, because we're fighting for parade seats. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole thing. I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, to being able to hug Mickey, but I also like to me, the bigger, the bigger thing I'm looking forward to the return of our actual photo, photo pass photographers at the meet and greets. Uh, because like, like I said, when we met Mickey on Friday, well, first of all, there was only a 10 minute wait. And I imagine that's going to be a little bit longer soon. <laughs> uh, so that was nice <laughs> to only wait 10 minutes. Uh, but also they didn't have a photo pass photographer. So my mom, who bless her heart, uh, is not the best photographer, got some pictures and they were cute, but I'm like, I hope if we had a photo pass photographer who could zoom in yeah. and like, it would be, it would have, it would have been so much nicer and yeah. we, we would have gotten some better photos. Don't tell my mom. I said, that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. sorry. Um, so another thing, like two more, two more episodes I want to touch on from the podcast from your podcast um one about the luca and allegory uh, and allegory and storytelling and it was this fascinating podcast on really the the podcast is about spend most of the time talking about luca and queer coding in luca um uh, which i said before we started recording i learned a tremendous amount from watching that podcast and then that actually made me go and watch other videos about why that exists and kind of the, the, the history of it, which is a fascinating history for anybody who's interested in it. Um, I would first go and listen to the podcast where y'all talk about it because you're going to learn a tremendous amount there. Um, and one thing that I thought was so interesting about it is I told you that when I was watching that movie, um, I had, what I took from it is not the same thing that you two and your guests um, took from it and, and, and how then you, the three of you kind of evolved into this conversation of how allegory exists based on this, like the spectrum people are looking for the place where they are in their life. And it was just a really, really fun interesting conversation um and so before i ask my big question on it I, I wanted to see your your thoughts on that and kind of the, like the planning 
for that particular show. And then I, I do have a question from it after that. Uh, I can't remember if we had the idea and we went to Ryan, who was yeah, again our guest on the, all our best episodes are with Ryan. Uh, so, uh, so or if or if he came to us, uh, he came to us for the multiverse episode, okay. right? Yes. Um, okay, yeah. So, I, it's interesting to me that you say that you, you didn't um, you didn't like see that when you were initially watching it. Um, because when, when, even when the movie was getting promoted, my social media feed was just filled with friends. Um, and I went to like art school, so I have a ton of LGBT friends. It's just the community. It uh, has a lot of them. Uh, I, and I myself, am not queer, but I have a lot of friends who are trans, a lot of friends who are gay, bisexual, uh, non-binary. Uh, and they immediately picked up on this from, I can't snap my fingers, but they immediately picked up on this uh, from like the trailers and the and the, the early footage uh, that this looked like it was an allegory for being, uh, for being gay, for growing up as a, as a queer person or a trans person. Uh, and so I already kind of was, had that mindset when I was thinking about it. Uh, and it was, it was really, I think it was really valuable for us to be able to bring in because Ryan, Ryan is, is gay and to, to bring in somebody from that community. Cause I, I, am not a member of that community. Um, I'm a strong ally of that community. I try to be, uh, but I, uh, I don't want to speak for, for them. So it was, it was good to be able to have somebody who connected with the movie on that level, uh, to, to, to kind of, to share their experience. And I, I go ahead, Sam. I was going to say, and I added a different perspective into that, um, for people who didn't recognize the queer coding and, um, the story that was going on the way that, you know, Rachel and, um, Ryan had initially seen it. And it was about like feeling like that fish out of water and how, you know, you just are trying to find your place in the world and you don't know where you fit in and um, made the comment as an allegory of it resonates with you where you are on your journey in life. So if it's something that you can make meaning out of, then take it and go with it. Um, and it doesn't have to be the same allegory for every single person. It's presented in a storytelling way for you to take what you need from it and learn and grow. Yeah. And I think, but I, I think that's a good point. And the, but the challenge is when you have a community that identifies so strongly and feels like the allegory is, is about them. And I don't, forgive me, I, I don't know if the director uh, has actually come out and said, yes, like this was intended to be about, about this. Um, it's, it's, it's good. It's, I think it's definitely fair to say like, yes, this is a story that many different groups could identify with, but at the same time, I think it's also, you also, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Um, you also have to tread lightly and, and not say like, well, it could be about anybody being different. Uh, but, uh, there are definitely groups that you kind of risk erasure for lack of a better word, uh, by saying like, it could be about anybody being different, yep. uh, versus, you know, it's, uh, versus, but you also don't want to say like, yes, it's definitely about being gay. It's definitely about being trans. So it's, it's, you kind of have to be respectful of those, of those viewpoints as well. I'm not sure I always do it so elegantly, but I, I try. Well, and yeah. one thing that I, like I told you before we started recording, when I was listening to the podcast, I, 
I found myself thinking like, how did I not see this? Like, it, why was I not able to see this? And I kind of started, you know, worrying a little bit about, well, am I not as like, as it, do I not pick up on these things as, as well as I should and all this. And so like, then like, when you talk about the, you know, allegory and stories come to you where, where you are and, and it, it, it does to a certain extent depend on what spectrum you're looking at um, or looking from. Um, it was just a very, very interesting episode. And I do remember, cause I just listened to it this last week um, in the episode when the three of you said that the director was actually came out adamantly saying it was not an allegory. Now I wonder with everything that's gone on in the last month or month and a half, and especially with um you know, the Pixar and employees of Pixar have made multiple comments about how there have been a lot of censorship. I wonder, because in the podcast, the three of you talked about, I wonder if there's contractual obligations that the, the director couldn't say something. And then like, I'm listening to this, you know, in the aftermath of hearing all of these and seeing all these Pixar employees make statements like that, that I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if that was the case. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Rachel. Physiology first. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, and um, I almost try to take a, a death of the author approach, where yeah. it's like, okay, he said it wasn't. That doesn't mean uh, it didn't mean a lot to this community, and that they didn't they didn't see themselves in it. Uh, but yeah, you do you do have to wonder, especially in light of recent allegations, that maybe he just maybe he was just trying to save his, save himself from getting, getting into trouble and, and maybe risking not getting further work or something like that. Yeah. And I can't remember if we said this in the Luca episode, but we also did a queer coding episode on Disney villains. And we said, at this point, we are giving the wins to the LGBTQ community. Like if they want this, they can have it because like they get, they need the storytelling. They need to have something out there that is a way for them to express their voices. And we're going to let them have that one. Well, and I, I I was actually going to mention the the death of the author um, because I hadn't heard of that either. That was something else I I learned from listening to the episode and then doing a little bit of, of reading after or watching after um, that, you know, it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the idea that it, no matter what the author's original intent is, somebody who identifies with something, they if they see value in it, it doesn't necessarily matter what the author's original intent was. It matters what the, you know, it's that old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, or, you know, art is different to, to different people. Um and so it was just, it was such an interesting episode and it, it's, it's one that I think is, um, is kind of, a, it's a great example of just what the, what detail you go into on the podcast and, and what uh, research you go into on the podcast. And, and so it was very, very well done. So, so thank both thank you and great job for that one. Thank uh, you. Uh, so another, the, the last one that I'll mention, and then we're, we'll get into a few more things before our rapid questions. 
Um, oh, well, I did say I had a, a, a question from allegory is, and I, I don't want to completely put you on the spot, but I, I, I guess I am. So apologies. If allegory exists based on your spectrum and where you are watching a movie from, then can you tell me, each of you tell me, what is a Disney movie that has meant a lot to you in your lifetime? Um, for me, I'm going to go with the first Tinkerbell movie that was like direct to video. Um, wow. What? Deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> okay, so, so yes. So uh, it's like they want her to fit into this box. And they, they're like, no, you're a tinker fairy. You can't go do these other things. And I've always felt like people, uh, that people, ple people pleaser who is like, I'm, I'm going to do what everybody else wants me to do. And then all of a sudden I was just like, no, I don't fit in a box. And I went and did my thing with Tinkerbell. Okay. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I know that Moana meant a lot to me when it came out and because I had lost, um, my grandfather a few months before it came out and it was still, it did still kind of stuck with me. Um, I don't, I don't know that there's a movie that I would see like an allegory for my own life in my life. I've, I feel like it's been really piecemeal and I've just, um, I, I don't think I, I don't see, like, I don't see myself in a lot of Disney characters. I think the way, the way other people do, which sometimes I get jealous of, uh, but, um, but I definitely saw myself in Moana as, um, somebody who was, uh, who just really wanted to make her family proud. And I, uh, not, not in like a Mirabelle magic all way, way, yeah. uh, but, but, uh, just in like a, like, like just caring about them so much that, um, you, you want, you just want, you just want them to be proud of you and you want to do something that, that makes them like, that makes them happy. Yeah, thank Even you. Even if it means yeah. sacrificing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. As, as, uh, thanks for sharing that. The um, to transition to the 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 last episode that I want to ask you about is you do also did an episode on Disney's America, um, and and kind of the history of Disney's America, and why it would why it didn't end up coming to fruition, um, why potentially it was somewhat a pot or a pretty positive thing. There were some negative things that happened that kept it from coming to fruition, but in the long run, the company may be better off that it was not built. Um, can you give us the, a brief kind of history of what the Disney America idea was? Disney's America is, so fascinating to me because there, there have been a lot of projects that, that just never came to be, that were very high profile projects that just got canceled. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it, it's, it just feels like the biggest, the biggest hole in the biggest crater in 
in the history of projects that never that never came to be. And especially when you look at the career of Michael Eisner and what he what he was hoping this would mean for his legacy. Uh, so for those of so for those uh, listening who aren't aware, Disney's America was a theme park that was going to be in Virginia. And it was basically going to be Liberty Square on steroids. And it would have a bunch, it was to have a bunch of different lands that were each based on a different era or and or um, region of the United States. And there were some ideas that sounded really cool and some ideas that uh, did not sound like, like they would have aged well. <laughs> dueling fighter jets. Dueling fighter jets, a uh, a nighttime spectacular based on um, oh, what was it? Something what, really cringy. Was it was it the Civil War or World oh, yeah. War One? Yeah, it was, it one was of on the, a floor. one of like of like yeah, basically yeah. yeah, a nighttime spectacular based on a, one of our the wars we fought, uh, and uh, just just uh, some probably ideas involving Native Americans that would not have aged well. And this wasn't, this wasn't a very long time ago. This yeah. was in the nineties. Uh, it was basically going to be a big promotion for, for Pocahontas, uh, which, uh, you know, we've, and we've done an episode of Pocahontas and why that was that, that hasn't aged well. Uh, but, but it, yeah, it was going to be a whole theme park and they were so excited and it just, it didn't come to be because there were just, there was just too much, opposition from legislators and cultural groups and too um, close to the actual sites and too close to the take away from from their importance yeah and it just it just quietly fizzled out and disney has never mentioned it again and uh it's probably good about bruno we don't talk about (laughs) disney's america i wish that movie had been out uh so we could have titled it we could have titled it we don't talk about america (laughs) um and even uh, like even the title, you know, like because I I had read some about Disney's America before, yeah. and like you know th- one of the first things people are upset about is really it's Disney's America like you're copywriting America yeah. now you can't really so then it was American Celebration and, and like uh, yeah. but wasn't interestingly enough because besides like a dog and real quick uh, on the the dog fighting coaster. When I was listening to the episode and you two were talking about that, I can't remember. One of you said, like, I can't remember what it was based on. And I I, I wrote it down. I'm like, it was a dog fighting coaster. I remember it was going to be two playing. And then one of you looked it up and, and, and looked up that it was actually going to be the United States and Germany flying those planes in the World Wars, which is extremely problematic. And they were going to mm-hmm. have... You Not know, they, triggering at all. Yeah, no. they wanted to have like a experience of being a slave on the underground road that's i mean they were yeah (laughs) it's a it's a it's a great lesson in like maybe their intent was above table and and their intent was good but it's a lesson in who can tell those stories and should should people that didn't live those experiences tell those types of stories you know that's something we talk about on a lot of our episodes is having the right uh, stakeholders being involved in these conversations so if you're going to be doing something on Native American culture you better have the right Native American spokesperson if you're going to be doing things onwards you need to have people who like have relevant experiences that they can add and can 
sit back and tell you if what you're doing is going to offend people or hurt people or trigger people because you have to think about it from not just your own perspective. Yeah. And it's not just like who is telling these stories, but who is profiting from these stories mm-hmm. too. There's yep. been, uh, you know, there, there, you know, when, uh, when Moana came out, they were like, oh, we got this Polynesian brain trust and we brought on these, all these people from Polynesia to, to help. But, but ultimately who's making the most money when this, when this movie comes out. Um, so I think, um, the best thing, the best thing that can be done is like, not just putting, not just like consulting these groups, but, but giving them opportunities to, to be the, to be the primary drivers of this media mm-hmm. and be the primary yep. people who profit from them. Directors, uh, and producers, yeah. yeah. And even in the past couple of years, we've seen a, a big stride in that. We've seen a lot of like um, actors of color and actors from marginalized backgrounds and directors and, and people um, getting to getting to work on these projects more and more and getting to be like the, the heads of these projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think Disney's America is just like a really great example of Disney not reading the room in and there were so many, I, I like, I, what's so funny to me is just how many points when nobody said, Hey, um, what? <laughs> well, and it, you know, it's, I mean, it's it, cringy. It, it happened during what is kind of known as the beginning of, you know, the, it was the second decade of, of Michael Eisner's, um, C, you know, time as CEO. Which the first decade, I think a lot of people celebrated. The second decade, people have thought, well, that's kind of, you know, yeah. But we got Bob yeah. Iger out of it and he made a lot of purchases and that was really good. Um, that, you know, it, it does, it kind of makes you think like, why were people not, were people comfortable saying no? Did everybody think it was a good idea? Did people not think it was a good idea and not say anything? Because it also... I mean, one of the largest kind of controversies around it, though, was the land, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't necessarily the 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 cringeworthy content that was going to be included. And there's also, you know, as we progress as a society, more things become cringeworthy because that is actually a sign of progression. What was done 20 years ago is cringeworthy now. What's done now, will, you know, at some point will be problematic. And that just is a sign of people progressing more and more but like at that time wasn't one of the biggest constraints to it that it was going to be built so close to Washington DC yeah and close to these sites that they were essentially building uh replicas of there was like a similar there was a similar I don't want to say controversy but a similar um criticism lobbed at California Adventure because it's Mm -hmm. like why are you having all this California stuff so close to where people can just experiencing these yeah. things for real, but there's not that added like um, racial and uh, cultural insensitivity portion yeah. of that, uh, at and least then, not as far as I'm aware. And, yeah. and I, it's taking visitors away from the mm-hmm. actual historic yeah. sites because, hey, I'd rather go yeah. to a theme park for this experience. Yeah. And, and then you're, you're losing funding for these other sites that, yeah, yeah. that it, need it to be restored. And especially if, especially if you get, if you price it at Disney's pricing, which has always been expensive. Uh, I mean, it's more expensive now, but it's always been expensive. Uh, are people going to have to pick, go to Disney's America or go to the actual Jamestown? Uh, but there, yeah, the, like to your point about people saying no, there were a lot of people saying no. 
it, I, I don't know how many of them were internal to Disney, but there were definitely a lot of, a lot of people yeah. saying this is not a good idea. And I think I, I don't, I, I can only speculate like at the time we were, it was like the height of the Disney Renaissance and Disney like was coming back. Uh, and they felt like, I think they probably just felt like, especially Eisner, like we can do no wrong. And Eisner especially was really concerned with cementing his legacy in like the, the pantheon of, uh, Disney CEOs. And I think they just were like, no, this, these are, this is the basket where our eggs are. We can't, there's no other baskets that we have to do this and we have to figure out how to do it right. Um, and um, all of these people who are complaining, they just don't understand our vision. Well, and it was, it's kind of that, you know, it, it sort of brings up the idea of hubris a little bit, a bit that it is, you know, getting defensive rather than listening to why something yeah. might be problematic or, or why you shouldn't do something. And then, and, and whereas I think if you actually that today, yeah, <laughs> a little I, bit. Yeah. well, and you, you brought up Disney's California adventure and, and we kind of saw it with California adventure when it first opened that people really did not go people, you know, they didn't, they had to almost rethink that whole park. I mean, it basically is almost completely rethemed now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but so you had Disney's America a few years later. And I mean, the planning was going on at the same time. I know, but, and what was it? 98 or 99 is when animal kingdom opened. Mm-hmm. Animal Kingdom had a lot of protests. Um, I, I, in my view, Disney kind of learned a little bit of their PR lesson in that they were upfront in saying they brought in a whole bunch of people that worked with animals, people that worked with the environment, and they weren't just helping on the project. That was probably the most important thing is that they were helping on the project and they were, I mean, Animal Kingdom for people who have been, it is, it's not my favorite park because of like just my attachment to other parks, but it is an amazingly beautiful and important park. Yeah. And, but also they had people telling the story for them. You know, they had people talking about how this is a good thing. And so I, I, the question I have written down was, do you think Disney learned from learned a lesson from the America scrapped project when they designed and ultimately opened Animal Kingdom or is it not to like be not to be funny about it but essentially I mean animals don't really have a voice other than you know the people that are trying to protest in their favor like which do you think it was did they learn a lesson or was it just kind of well, they, they sort of pushed through and, and now it's open and everybody loves it. Um, I'm going to go with neither. Okay. <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to give all of that to Joe Rody. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, it was, probably Rody, just, it was probably just that they put Joe Rody in charge of animal <laughs> yep. kingdom. And, and Joe Rody already has <laughs> the right mindset. Okay. And he already like sits back and reflects on things and he knows how to include the right people and he cares mm-hmm. about okay. um, culture and, and all those aspects. So I'm going to say Joe Rody. Um, well, so then that like, is, that kind of is learning the lesson. Yes. Like put somebody who is intimately knowledgeable about this or and who knows how to get the right people. Yeah. yeah like, I, I don't know if that was their intention. I mean, he did walk a tiger into the, <laughs> the meeting room. Yeah, oh, that like, was him. <laughs> yeah. They had to be convinced with the tiger walking around. Yeah. So. I, 
Yeah, I, I I would have to look at the timelines of how like when and when they started building or designing Animal Kingdom versus when they were planning uh, America. Uh, <laughs> um, to really know, like I I I hesitate to to say like Disney learned their lesson without seeing like solid proof of that. And I think the answer to did they learn their lesson is subjective. Like, you know, you see a lot of people talking about the um the warnings that they've put in front of several movies on Disney Plus. And some people like them and some people don't like them. Um, but I think like for some people, for some groups uh, or individuals, um, the 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 warning is good, but it doesn't go far enough. And they would rather see the, the media removed or, or censored. And I don't think they're wrong to think that, but I also don't think, I think it's a very subjective answer of, um, if they learned, did they learn their lesson? I, I don't feel like I personally have the authority to say what that lesson should have been. Um, I think Disney learned their lesson with America, with Disney's America in that they didn't build it. <laughs> um, and, uh, they built a really good part in animal kingdom, but I don't know if the two are, are, are actually, um, core correlated. But okay. animal kingdom, I agree is a great park. Um, when you look at it, like I think they learned a lot of lessons from California Adventure, yeah. uh, if, if anything, because you talked about how California Adventure is basically a different park now from when it opened. Animal Kingdom, except for Pandora, is more or less unchanged. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a and most of the most of the opening day attractions I think are still there, mm -hmm. and the ones that were added are are very high quality and um, blend in very well with what was already there. So I think I think. Uh, they, they just had the right people on the team. I think they should have just put Joe Rody on everything. And, uh, and that that's the lesson. <laughs> I agree. Well, with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, now Joe Rody is he's gone. quote unquote retired, but then mm -hmm. a week or two later, you know, we get an announcement. He's joining, he, he had joined someone else. So, um, you bring, you brought up and, and I, I, I know we need to wrap up quickly because everybody has, kids and and other obligations and things that we have to get to um but you brought up the the storytelling and you brought up the um like the the warnings on disney plus um do you think they need to you know there, there's an argument for exposure exposing people to something and that's their if that's their first point of exposure then 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 at least they're exposed to that. And then they can go learn about it more. But there's also an aspect of it that, okay, exposure in general is a good thing. Um, and, but taking that next step and maybe adding more content and more context in that content would be something that is helpful. Like an example I think of is, you know, when they released Hamilton on Disney Plus, they, they, they released a few different, um, specials where they they had people from the show talking but they also had historians talking and everything which was really well really well produced but you know it would be it would also be great if there was coming soon a a, a documentary about alexander hamilton and about that time to show that okay here's some here's how it was produced and shown here to expose people to this but here's more of the full story like, do you think that's something that 
not just Disney, but all media companies should be striving to do to, to tell that more full story? Um, absolutely. I, I do. And I do see MCU starting to do that. They're taking a lot of stereotypical issues um, that people are afraid to talk about or issues that make people uncomfortable and they are presenting them in a way that is consumable to us. So like right now with Moon Knight and the Disassociative Identity Disorder, like we don't normally talk about that and to present it to us in something that we're gonna consume. Um, I think that they have almost an obligation to do that at this point because of the platform that they have. But I did wanna say about the exposure, the issue with the exposure for me is we have children who this is their first exposure and their parents aren't having the conversations with them and their parents aren't telling them or aren't guiding them in these conversations and they're just consuming these things and they're thinking that these are normal things that are acceptable instead of being told this is how things were but we've grown and this is how things are now and you know we try we try to be better we try to do better so that's my that's my issue with exposure um is being careful how it's being consumed right. because we can't allow kids to consume things without healthy and appropriate conversations. Yeah. Right. A, a message. A me yeah. The message, a message at the beginning of a, of a movie isn't like, isn't a substitute for a conversation, especially like in my case, I have a two-year-old, she can't read. So if I yeah. put Peter Pan on for her and that is her first experience to native uh, exposure rather to to native americans and media and i don't say anything and she can't read the little statement at the top that's like this is not okay but we're going to show it to you anyway uh i i don't think i don't i don't think that's that's the best move i could make um I, I do I do think that it would it is it, it's nice to have more cultural context. I do remember when like Pocahontas came out, there was like oh and here's like all the real information about Pocahontas. Yeah. But I also think but I also think I like I say that kind of with an asterisk. Like yes, it would be nice. Uh, but I but I say that with kind of an asterisk because I feel like a lot of the background media that Disney puts out, whether they're saying like here's the behind the scenes look or here's like like we sent Joe Rody to, to Africa and here's what he found. It, it's got a very self-congratulatory tone yeah. to it. And Disney yeah. has not shown that they are very good at being self-critical or putting out media that is, that is self-critical, um, which I think is a mistake. I think that mm -hmm. there's definitely a way to do that and talk about the mistakes you've made beyond a, a statement at the beginning of a movie. Um, in a nuanced way that still encourages, you know, they're, they're worried that they're going to lose viewers, but I think that a, a good show of faith and effort would go a long way in, in getting more viewers. And so, if they don't talk about it, Rachel, we will, mm -hmm. but so yeah, then, we don't have as many, we don't have as many followers. <laughs> <laughs> so then is it, I like that you brought up the like self-congratulatory and they're not really being you know, talking about the mistakes they made. They talked a little bit about mistakes in the Imagineering story. It's still a little bit. Yeah, it's still a, a, a Disney produced. I mean, they're not going to talk about all the mistakes they made. But how about this idea? What if they actually made a like instead of the Imagineering story, it was the Walt Disney Studio story where they got into more of that and they got into, hey, here's some of the things that and they could talk about. It. Here's maybe what people were thinking they were doing and they were trying to do good and all of this, it, it maybe given I, the benefit of the doubt, but then talking about how, you know, 
here's what really should have here's what should have been told here's what needs to be told here's how people could be more responsible um because i think it is something that's throughout entertainment as well right yeah yeah um it, it would be nice if those messages were coming from disney but at the same time like they um have an agenda they have an agenda they're like the, they're the biggest company in the whole yeah. world they're a huge corporation um and so I think it is important to to have like outside voices uh, outside of Disney telling telling certain stories. But the disadvantage is they don't have the exposure that Disney does, and they're not going to reach as many people as Disney can. So I do think they have a responsibility to um, to be conscientious of of mm -hmm. who they're reaching and try to tell stories in an accurate way. Yes. Um, to your point about Walt, like. I don't see them ever doing anything like not and not anytime soon. Like, you know, we saw saving Mr. Banks. They wouldn't even let Tom Hanks uh, smoke on screen, yeah. even though Walt Disney was a lifelong smoker and died of lung cancer. Um, so I, I, I think they're, they're just so, they're just so careful and there's no other media company in the world. That's like that, where they, they, they just feel like they have to um, curate everything so carefully. And I think that, they go too far with it sometimes. And we've, we've seen in like their recent trying to, you know, trying to kind of get involved in politics, but not really, and then bungling it. And then now nobody's happy now. Yeah. <laughs> now. Uh, yeah. I mean, now you're, you're never going to make everybody happy, but yes, yeah. it, it seems right now, like they have to recalibrate because they have made They're, people on yeah. multiple sides. Yeah, really, really upset it, with really them. Really angry. Um, so there's so much more that I, I could go on, but <laughs> we we have like six minutes left, and so I I want to I want to do it justice and, and try to stick as close to it as we can. There is one thing that I wanted to ask before, and I, I close out doing some rapid fire questions or rapid questions that um, mostly are about the parks. But one thing I wanted to ask before, um, and unlike so everybody in the class listening or watching and anybody else, unlike me just kind of coming up with the question about allegory and stories at the last minute, I actually did email or message about this and ask about the MCU character you identify with. The, the class, the students do a case study where they, they identify one or multiple MCU characters that they identify with. And the purpose is that they're you know, it, this is a character that they want to become, they feel like they are, and how does that help them move forward? So what would be your character or characters that you identify with from the MCU? Uh, mine is going to be a really funny one because like she's literally sitting right behind me. But um, <laughs> so not to be too cliche, but I would go with Wanda. And because of the way that she bend reality. So I actually teach people about gratitude mindset and okay. manifestation. So um, being able to be in control of your own reality by controlling your thoughts and, you know, bringing in the good things around you instead of letting toxic things hold you down. So Wanda technically can do that. She can bend reality. She can create her own reality. So I went with Wanda. Very cool. And, and there's a whole other like conversation to have there. So We'll have to figure out more time to talk because I want, I want to know more about that. Uh, thank you, Rachel. Go ahead. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a ton of MCU characters I love, but I had to think really hard about characters I identify with. Um, and um, I would say I kind of feel like I'm a combination of Darcy uh, from like the Thor movies and WandaVision because I'm, I'm very nerdy. I'm very awkward. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, there's days when I don't feel special, but I, I try to, I just try to, you know, be smart and do the best I can. And, uh, cause she doesn't have any powers. Uh, so, um, and then the other person I feel like I'm a combination of is, is Yelena from, um, Hawkeye and the Black Widow movie. Uh, just her sense of humor really speaks to me. Very dry, very like easily exasperated by everyone around her. Uh, I'm, I'm not as strong as her, but that's kind of how I feel a lot of times. All right. Well, and thank you. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Um, I like to, I like for the students to hear Anybody who talks in the class, or I call them friends of the class. And so I like wow. to hear the students um, have exposure to that. Like, who who are these people that are speaking to us and, and what would they feel on it? So um, if I could, I have three rapid fire or rapid questions, and they, they deal with the parks. And these are ones that you, you could explain if you want, or you literally could just say what it is, and we move on. It's completely up to you. Yeah. So the first one, though, is... Um, have, uh, I guess to set the stage, have, have both of you or either of you been to parks other than Walt Disney world? Has anybody, have you been to I have not. international or Disneyland or anything? I've, I've been to Disneyland and a very long time ago to the point where I don't remember it anymore. I, I went to Disney sea, okay. uh, but I, but I have been to Disneyland. Okay. Um, for the, so Rachel, when you are responding, you can include every, you can include the parks you've been to. Um, Sam, we'll, we'll stick to Walt Disney World. Okay. So what is your favorite gate or favorite park to go to? Um, Magic Kingdom for me. Okay. Magic Kingdom, right. I could spend all day in Tomorrowland and be happy. And fa oh, Fantasyland too. Let me, okay. just put me in Magic Kingdom all day. We're good. <laughs> We're good. Um, Ep oh, sorry. Uh, Epcot. Uh, okay. 100%, um, uh, especially now that they've gotten rid of those um, gravestones uh, in front. <laughs> I, I uh, literally, the, the gate there, I could I could spend every day there. Um, it, is, it is so chill and uh, I love it. Okay, all right. Um, and so what about when you go, um, do you have a, a favorite attraction? Yes. Favorite attraction. Go ahead. You, you go. You go first. <laughs> mine is, mine is uh, Journey into Imagination. Okay. All right. That's my daughter's favorite too. <laughs> Figment's uh, my favorite character. So uh, I mean, I, I do. I do miss like Rainbow Tunnel and yeah. like the mm -hmm. Rainbow Corridor and like Dreamfinder, Dream Machine, all that. Um, I actually have a friend who is recreating um, Opening Day Epcot. For oh, okay. the Oculus, and it's really cool. But very, he's got, very cool. He's got the he's got the rainbow corridor and all that in there. So I would love to see them bring back Dreamfinder. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so interesting what they do with Figment, like Figment and the ride, because the ride is so like it's a third of what it used to be. Mm -hmm, yeah. But at the same time, he has essentially again become like the logo mm -hmm, of. Yeah the face of Epcot in many ways. I mean, he's on everything. So go ahead, Rachel. Um, Haunted Mansion. Uh, okay. If we're talking about 
rides that exist now in their current incarnations. It's, it's yeah. Not I mean, <laughs> yeah. If I had to go with current, I would probably go with. If, if I had to go with extinct, I would passage. Go, yeah. If I had to go with extinct attractions, I would say um, horizons. Oh yeah. That, that was, yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was a big yeah. fun. Um, and then, so for the, for the last one, um, just so I don't take up too much of your time. Um, favorite, we don't, I don't, we don't eat a lot in the parks. We do a lot of fast service in the parks. Um, but I do fill up a lot on the treats when we're in the parks. So favorite Disney treat in any of the parks. I am not a big treat person. I prefer like, if I, I, I would prefer something like heavier. Um, I guess I would go with, what's the drink in Pandora, Rachel? Night Blossom. Night Blossom. I'm going to go okay. with Night Blossom. All right. Um, but I also want the flame tree pies from mm. Flame Tree Barbecue because that would be my ideal snack. So I'd prefer <laughs> that over the treats. I would say Dole Whip uh, and also okay. as a runner up, uh, the Mickey uh, Rice Krispie treats. There's something oh, okay. about, there's something about eating a Rice Krispie treat in the shape of Shaped Mickey's like head. Mickey. It, it just hits different. Is, does it taste different if you get it in one of the parks or you get it at Disney Spring from Goofy Shop? Um, I think it's, I think it's the same. Um, I don't get them very often, but I like every time I get them, I, I, I don't regret it. <laughs> I, I know they are the same for me. It's something like, it's a little bit different if you get it from Goofy's shop at Disney Springs. Like there's yeah. just something about that. Like yeah. you're walking around Disney Springs eating that. Uh, that's really, really special. So um, we'll thank you both for doing thank this. Thank you for having me. Um, this was awesome. Um, for anybody who wants to keep up with what you are doing um, and how they can find the show and everything, um, please tell us how to do that. We are at Dizology Podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And we do have um, a Facebook page and Instagram and a TikTok and Twitter, which, but we haven't been posting as much. Uh, we are taking a little bit of a break right now because of life. Uh, <laughs> Rachel's We're moving and I'm adjusting to yeah. um, how school's changing right now, but <laughs> But we have some ideas in the bag yeah. that we're getting ready to come out with. So Dizology yeah, we podcast. A, we have a decent back catalog of podcast episodes. We will post more. Um, definitely follow us on TikTok. That's probably where we're going to be posting content most frequently in the future. Uh, so um, yeah, podcasting and TikToking are the best way to best way to follow us and our and our weird minds. Okay, awesome. Well, you know what? It, it they're awesome to listen to. Um, I would you. tell anybody um, you know, listen, listen to a couple. And if you, if that, if that is what you enjoy, go back and listen to as many as you can, because everyone that I've listened to, I've walked away knowing or feeling like I know something more about not only Disney fandom, but all of these other, like these, this really, this cool way that you bring in kind of outside concepts and everything. So thank you very, very much, Sam and Rachel for this and thank have a you. great rest of your day. Thank you for having us. Bye. 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 
Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and for listening, and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class, special content related to the class, or visits and interviews we had with guest speakers, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class and see where we're going in the future, you can do so by following me on Twitter at CHaverdPhD. That's C-H-A-V-A-R-D-P-H-D. And you can also follow along by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guest speakers we've had in class, their contact information is available in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a lot of fun. It's always great having you with us. And please, if you like what you hear, share with other people so that others can engage with each other, possibly learn more and explore more about their Disney fandom and their love for all things Disney related. So with that, I'll say thanks for joining us again, and please have a great day.